In our world today, we always give awards and special recognition, rightly, I think, for those who work the hardest, who serve the longest, and are the most successful. It's the people who are new to the job, just starting out, or who are working for a temporary amount of time, who have to prove themselves to climb up the ranks and earn the respect of their peers. Uh, When I was in college, I would work nearly every summer for a local bank in my hometown, the First National Bank of Corbin, Kentucky. My aunt worked for First National Bank for a very long time, both as a teller and in the loan department, and it was she who helped me get hired for this part-time work each summer. I started out serving as a teller five days a week in the months of June and July, both inside the bank and in the bank's drive through lines, adding an extra set of hands and covering for those people who'd worked a lot longer than me and needed to take off some time for vacation. But when the bank needed something else done that no one else in the bank really wanted to do, then as a young man and the lowest on the totem pole as the part-time worker, they would give me the special assignment. I'll never forget the summer when I was sent to work inside the very large vault of the downtown bank building in a tiny little room where large bags of change, usually collected by the vending machine owners in town, were stored to be counted in a large, loud counting machine, which also was able to roll up those coins into equal currency amounts. It certainly was a rougher job inside a part of the bank that had very little air circulation and was often quite a bit warmer than the outside sections of the bank in those summer months. It also involved some heavy lifting of large cloth bags of quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies from soda and snack machines located all around the town and probably throughout the Tri-County area. And there's no question that it was definitely the kind of job that nobody else in that bank really wanted to do. And you know what? I loved it. Sure, it was hot and it was a little dirty, but I was young back then, and it meant I didn't have to wear a tie when I came into work that day, and I didn't have to deal with other people's hard questions about their bank accounts, which I probably couldn't have answered anyway. And the bank manager probably feeling a little bit sorry for me being locked inside the steel bank vault, would always let me bring a radio and listen to music while I lugged around the coin bags, ran the change through the loud counter, and let the machine roll those coins up for me to stack on the shelf for collection. Now that I've been thinking about it, I'm quite sure I was probably breaking some federal health and safety codes by being locked inside of there, but I didn't care about it back then. It was just what a temporary worker had to do, at least until they might have the opportunity to be hired full-time and start to prove themselves in the world of banking and finance. Once that happened, I was quite sure I'd never be expected to do such menial labor ever again. Counting quarters inside the fault is where you start, but once you've moved up and earned your place, you'd be expected to do more important work and earn a better wage for the hours that you put in. I remember meeting folks, my aunt 
being included in that mix, who'd worked for that bank for a good chunk of their lives. Some had started, like me, as a teller, but over time they'd moved on into the loan departments and became loan officers or maybe branch managers and eventually vice presidents and presidents of the bank. And even if you'd only ever worked as a teller on that front line all those years ago, for those who had given 20 or 30 or 40 years, they were always honored for their service and respected for the time they'd put in. At least, that's how I remember the First National Bank of Corbin, Kentucky. And that experience of working in a bank was really my first official hands-on lesson in how we as Americans are trained to work and move ahead in our jobs and in our professions. That's when I knew that to get ahead, I had to put in the time and prove myself. That was the ticket I needed for success and also the real ticket I needed for getting paid a little bit more. And today, even as a priest, believe me when I tell you that it's still quite easy for some of us holier-than-thou people, not myself being included in that, to fall into the same pattern. Being a regular parish priest is one thing, but all of us clergy know that there are also cathedral deans and there are those big CEO-type rectors at the larger parishes in different provinces in the Episcopal Church. And of course, there are all of those guys who wear the funny hats and women too, bishops, of course. But unlike the regular business model, becoming a priest in the church is always supposed to not be about climbing up a ladder of rank and profession, but rather it's supposed to be about finding your specific calling and your godly vocation in the church. Where is God calling you as a person in the church to serve? If that includes dean or bishop, wonderful. There's nothing at all wrong with that for sure. The challenge is just to always remind yourself of the important lesson we have in the gospel this morning, that in the teaching and discipleship of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the first must always learn to be last, and the last always have the true opportunity to be first. In fact, in the Christian liturgies in our Episcopal Church, as well as in the Roman Catholic and Orthodox and Lutheran traditions, all you have to do is watch the procession at the beginning of Sunday morning worship to see this represented in its entirety. It is never the priest or the bishop who come in at the front of the procession. In the church procession, first is always the acolytes carrying the cross and the candles. Then the important singers of the choir with the youngest choristers always in the front of that group. Then it's the lay people who are serving at the altar and helping with the chalice. Only near the end of the procession do we see the first of the ordained clergy with the deacon always at the head, followed after by assisting priest and at the very end of the line, the rector of the church. And if the bishop is present, the bishop is always the very last in all of those lines. And so the first in authority in the church shall be the last in the line. The youngest, who are really no authority at all, are always the first. If only that was the case at parish dinners after we got out of the church service. This, of course, is one of the many ways in which the message of Jesus tries very hard 
to take the way we as fallen human beings see the world and turn it upside down. And the parable Jesus offers this morning to us from the Gospel of Matthew, I think one of the few parables that still carries just a little of that shock value, which parables were always meant to have, Jesus speaks of something in the kingdom of God that will be the absolute polar opposite of what we follow in our view here in the world now. Jesus tells the story of a vineyard, vineyard owner who calls people to work in his vineyard early in the morning. And then he goes back out to call workers throughout the day to come into the vineyard at 9 a.m., at noon, at 3 p.m., and finally at 5 p.m. They are all hired, we are told, for a full day's wage. So when the day is finished and night comes, the vineyard owner sends his manager to close out his books for the workers, specifically directing that manager to pay those who were hired last first, giving them the full promised day's wage for their short time. After that, we are told the manager moves through each set of the workers, paying each the same until he comes to those who work the full day from beginning to end. And to their apparent surprise and dismay, and maybe to ours as well if we're honest, instead of getting more for their full day's labor, they receive the same payment as everyone else, even the 5 p.m. workers who barely worked an hour. And they ain't happy about this, not at all. And really, who can disagree with those workers for being upset about this? They must have surely put in 12 hours of work in the heat. They may have even been the regular workers familiar with the vineyard owner and everyone else gathered in were temporary. How could people hired in the last hour who barely worked at all get just as much as they did? It just isn't fair. But Jesus isn't really talking about being fair, is he, in this parable? Jesus is instead speaking about this vineyard owner being generous with what he has chosen to freely offer to anyone he chooses to be generous with, which in this case is everyone. Jesus, of course, is using something that we all can understand at the beginning and wrap our minds around, whether we started out working for the first time in a bank vault or in a McDonald's, as a McDonald's employee, I did that job as well, or as a lieutenant in the military. Jesus is using honest labor, but he's changing around the purpose altogether for something completely different, something more important than just a fair payment when he draws us to the attention of this particular vineyard owner. Because in Jesus' parable, God is the owner of this vineyard. And that vineyard is nothing less than what God intends for God's kingdom, created by God for all of creation. God is constantly calling people who have wandered away to come back into his vineyard. And for those who come in to be not only a laborer, but to become followers and disciples. And what God, the vineyard owner, is offering his laborers is nothing less than freely given salvation, resurrection, forgiveness, and a new kind of life that will be forever and eternal. A new life so restructured and reformed that even death 
will never ever be able to destroy it if we are laborers who are working in God's vineyard. This is God's offering of a full wage for work that's done honestly, both to saints who start out following God from the beginning of their life all the way down to the hardened criminal who only finds God and accepts Jesus in those final days before his execution. And why is God doing it this way? Because God is generous. God is merciful. God is loving. And just like everything else we face, the good times and the bad times, the successes and the failures, everything in our life is already God's in the first place. So God can do anything with what is God's as God chooses. And thankfully for us, brothers and sisters, our God chooses to be gracious and loving and forgiving. Now, on a Sunday morning, this is probably easy for all of us to stomach, but let's be honest. Even we good, solid Christian folk sometimes find it hard to believe that the criminal can truly be forgiven. Or maybe it isn't a hardened criminal at all. Maybe it's just an annoying neighbor or a family member who slights us or a friend who betrays us. How can God forgive someone who acts that way? But friends, as St. Paul always reminds us when we read through his epistle to the Romans, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if God was ever just about being fair, every single one of us would be in serious trouble. Brothers and sisters, how incredibly blessed are we all to have a gracious, loving, merciful God, every single one of us. And so we have the calling to see this world differently as people of faith, to pass along this wonderful story of good news. Those of us who are working hard to be disciples of Jesus are asked to be by the same owner of the vineyard like that vineyard owner, to go out and call others to come into the Lord's vineyard and to give up our own seat if we have to at the front of the table for anyone who is wanting to join and try to meet, remake themselves as Jesus' disciples. For Jesus says this morning, the last will be first and the first shall be last. And no matter how lowly followers of God we fall into that lineup or into that procession, we all will be receiving the same equal grace and salvation. And that is an incredible gift that can save not only us, but can save everyone. So let us have the strength to become disciples of the vineyard owner. Let us go out into the world and call whoever we can, the old or the new, the lost or the forgotten, into the Lord's vineyard to receive God's amazing grace. Amen.